0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, you're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dafran Johan. Recently, about 30 organisers and attendees of the hashtag Turon protest were summoned by the authorities to have their statement taken. The same was seen during the Lawyer's Walk for Judicial Independence and many protests before that. So what does this say about freedom of assembly in our country right now what does this say about the state of democracy in this country joining me on the show today to discuss this is Joseph Benedict he's the Asia Pacific civic space Re- researcher at Civicus welcome to the show Joseph how are you doing
1: I'm doing well your russian
0: now J- joseph recently about 30 organizers and attendees of the turon protests were summoned by the police Um, to have the statements taken under Section 9.5. As I mentioned in the intro, the same was seen during the Lawyer's Walk for Judicial Independence, many other protests before that. What are your overall thoughts on this?
1: Now, I think for those of us who are monitoring protests in Malaysia, this is a very concerning tactic that we are seeing being used by the police uh, and increasingly used in a number of instances. Uh, for, For me, it's clearly a form of police or judicial harassment against protesters. There is really no need to haul up uh, these protesters for questioning. Um, as we know, they were already police present during the protests at that point, um, and the purpose of the protest was quite clear. Uh, they were protesting on the cost of living and, and so forth. So I think what we're seeing is an increasing pattern uh, in recent years of the police um, using this tactic and, and numerous protests clearly as a form to intimidate the protesters and also to create a very chilling effect. So for protesters who are participating for the first time, it creates a, a particular level of fear in, in, in getting involved in such protests. We've also seen in the past where police have also visited homes of protesters in order to summon them. This is definitely a clear form of abuse and, and must stop.
0: Now, Joseph, what exactly is Section Nine Five? Because this seems to be a section that they keep uh, referring to um, when when they are you know uh, taking statements and uh, you know of uh, protesters uh, for for numerous uh, times through over the years. So, so what exactly is Section Nine Five?
1: Well, Section Nine Five of the Peaceful Assembly Act of Twenty Twelve it criminalizes the organizers of protests for failure to give five days' notice before a gathering. Now this particular provision is is uh, concerning because you know under international law yes uh, there is a need to inform the protests, uh, to the, inform the police when there are protests which are large uh and disruptive gatherings. But in in a, in a practical sense, actually, in most places around the world, you see a forty-eight hours notice uh, being adequate with regards to informing the police. So five days is extremely a long period uh, for for the protesters. But however, what is problematic with regards to the law is that there is no exception to the notice requirement for spontaneous assemblies or ad hoc assemblies where it's not practical to. Give Give advance notice um, to the police or where protesters are responding to an unforeseen development. So, let me give you an example. Recently, we saw Protests happening in front of the High Commission uh, of Singapore with regards to planned executions uh, of, of Malaysians. Often we hear about this news only between 24 to 48 hours before an execution. So there's no uh, enough, there's not enough time to give that five uh, day notice. We also see this around, say, evictions of of communities like farmers who are who are protesting against that. Uh, how do you give the police a five day notice? So clearly, uh, the the law itself is problematic and is often used against protesters because they have not given that five days notice so uh, there needs to be a real review of the of the uh, section 95 of the peaceful assembly act
0: now I see you uh, I want to pick up on a word that you used and and you use the word inform the police because I think for for people who 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 may not be very familiar um why did you use the word inform instead of say seek permission
1: now it's very important to understand that uh, Malaysia uh, the the uh, the the procedure around um, in, uh, protests, it has moved from and what we call an authorization regime. So in the past, under the Police Act, you had to seek permission from the police in order to hold protests. But now this has shifted with the Peaceful Assembly Act, and we've moved to what we call a notification regime, where the protesters only have to notify the police that they're holding a protest. Police do not have the right to deter the protest or block the protest. There's no need for permission all they have to do is to notify the, the police in order for the police to facilitate the protests and to ensure the protection of protesters and those nearby. So I think it's very important to understand that um, there is no need uh, for permission. It's very much about notifying the police purely for their information and if they need to mobilise in order to ensure the protest uh, goes on in, in a peaceful manner. So I think that's a very important distinction with regards to what's ha- what's uh, happening now in, in Malaysia.
0: Absolutely. And... You know, you you brought up earlier the, the various um, th- reasons uh, people may may protest. Um, for example, the death penalty. You're talking about farmers' protests and and very very uh, many various reasons, right? As we talked about the turon protests, um the uh, the lawyers' protests, and and all of these things. What would you say, Joseph? Is the importance of protesting in a democracy?
1: Well, the the right to protest or to peacefully peacefully assemble is what we call a fundamental freedom, similar to freedom of expression or freedom of association. And it's a very key element in a democracy. It allows individuals, people like you and me, to organise and take part in gatherings of persons for purposes to express ourselves and and our views. Uh, in order to expose uh, abuses uh, by the state and and other actors uh, to mark key dates. For example, we see gatherings and protests around Labor Day or International Women's Rights Day or to convey a position on a particular issue like we saw with the recent Turun protests or previously with the the Lawan protests. And this particular right um, to assemble is guaranteed under Article 20 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that came about in 1948 and has become the basis for a lot of the protection on this right in international human rights standards. In many countries, protests are the only way to get government's attention or to highlight an issue or to bring governments to a negotiate, to the negotiating table when, when, when people are trying to change policies and laws. In more authoritarian countries, we see protests have been a tool to also remove government, like we've seen recently in, in Sri Lanka, but we also, protests have also been a very important tool for very marginalized communities who do not have access to power, who do not have access to, to justice, such as indigenous groups, workers, migrants, and, and refugees. And there are various kinds of protests. Uh, no, the traditional protests are around gathering and holding play cards and banners, but we see new forms of protests like flash mobs, like displaying flags, uh, like holding protests on on a boat like we saw in Penang against land reclamation. And also we are seeing online protests uh, happening more and more as with the new kind of digital environment. So these are are the various ways that why protests are important in order to ensure that, that actors in a democracy are able to voice out their opinions.
0: You brought up international law, but when we hone in on Malaysian law specifically and our constitution, Is freedom of assembly and the right to protest um, something that's enshrined in our federal constitution?
1: Yes, absolutely. So if we look at the right to protest, it is guaranteed in the Malaysian constitution under Article 10. And and that's a very important guarantee that everyone should be be guaranteed and protected. But also if you look at even the Peaceful Assembly Act, which has its, its problems, Article 2A of that particular law also recognizes the right to organise and participate in in assemblies. So so what this does is that it imposes an obligation on the government or the state to respect the right to protest, Uh, that the government and and their police have to facilitate protests, they have to protect protesters and not interfere and hinder with it. So this is a a guaranteed right in in the Malaysian constitution.
0: So if it is a guaranteed right, if it's a constitutional right, then why are investigations always done? Because like you said, the the police are... I think this is something that a lot of people may not know as well. The police are supposed to um, facilitate the protest. They are supposed to help make sure that, uh, you know, the protests uh, go on smoothly and, and things like that. But yet, uh, whenever we have protests, the police are on the other side. Um, you know, they they, they they block the protests. Um, they, they block off all the roads sometimes. Um, then, obviously, after the protests are done, investigations go on and, and so on and so forth. If this is our constitutional right, then why is this happening?
1: I think you're very right. Clearly, we we see uh, uh, that that the um, laws are, are being abused in order to undermine our constitutional rights. And as I mentioned earlier, the Peaceful Assembly Act itself is inadequate. It falls short of international standards and it criminalizes spontaneous protests. And this is often used uh, by the police uh, or abused by the police to initiate uh, such investigations. I also think we uh, must remember that protests are also about calling out government and state abuses. It's often about challenging power and clearly we see that the government is fearful of many of these protests uh, and and, uh, the, the investigations are often used on order to stifle protests and to create a chilling effect among protesters, especially new protesters who are coming out to the streets. I also think there's a real lack of proper understanding of the right to protest uh, that is guaranteed in our constitution. We often hear our leaders and and the kind of police chiefs say that certain protests are illegal when there's really no basis uh, for this. This often sends a message that they can go about restricting protests or probing and harassing protesters. And therefore, there's a real need for an attitude change right from the bottom down that these rights are, are fundamental rights in our constitution and should be respected and protected.
0: And what do these recent investigations and the investigations that has been going on throughout the pandemic and and whatnot, what do these recent investigations say about freedom of speech in this country today? What does it signal?
1: I think what we see clearly is a regression of rights under this current uh, Frikata national government. Uh, As we know, freedom of peaceful assembly goes closely and hand in hand with freedom of expression. And we have seen a systematic attempt uh, by the authorities to criminalise freedom of speech using an array of, of restrictive laws. So so besides the Peaceful Assembly Act that we've seen uh, used often, we also have seen the use of sedition and, of course, the Communications and Multimedia Act, or CMA law, being used to go after activists uh, and critics uh, for organising protests or for promoting protests. And also, I think it's important to remember that if before the 2018 elections, we saw a ramping up of arrests. And prosecution of activists at that time. And I think the real concern among those of us who are observing what's happening in Malaysia is that, you know, could we, we, we see this ahead of the upcoming elections that, that, that's being planned, in a sense? I also must make an important note that these actions are inconsistent with the commitments made by Malaysia, who is now a member of the Human Rights Council. You know, at the Council, Malaysia is calling out states for violations, debating various human rights issues. So I think it smells of hypocrisy that while Malaysia is doing this at the international level, at home, it is stifling fundamental freedoms.
0: All right, let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Joseph Benedict, civic space researcher at Civicus. After the break, I ask him if police officers are allowed to ask participants to disclose their IDs during a protest. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Joseph Benedict, civic space researcher at Civicus. And we're talking about, well, the civic space in our country today. So, Joseph... um, Many of the recent protests um, haven't been allowed to carry on as planned. Uh, more often than not, protesters, for example, they want to gather um, at one spot and then they want to uh, march towards Tataram Merdeka or parliament. But what usually ends up happening is the police um, block off the all the various parts um and they, and they sort of uh, barricade certain areas and they only allow protesters to march in a very very sh- uh, short distance why is this happening and what does this what's the significance of this?
1: Right. So, so before I get into the actual protests, um, as I mentioned earlier, what we are seeing often is restrictions even before the protest start. So, right. uh, you know, the targeting of organisers online, uh, where we've seen also organisers being named and banned from the protests, such as the previous Lawan protests. But we also see the police, as you said, blocking roads. Uh, shutting down train stations and so forth, and, and this is clearly a form of interference in the protest in order to disrupt uh, such protests, as we've seen in a number of instances. And then, as you mentioned, during the protest itself, what we are seeing is restrictions on movement so that protesters can gather, but not much, as you said, and spaces are blocked. So, this is clearly a violation of the right to protest. There is no basis for the police to restrict their movements or, or to block them. And it's clearly a form of intimidation to disrupt the protest and deny them the ability to reach their target audience. Now, under international standards, when you hold a protest, you must be allowed to hold it within sight and sound of the target that you are trying to protest against. So therefore, you cannot restrict a protest to one location just for your convenience when the target is in another location. So as we saw with the protests outside parliament and the restrictions there, as well as uh, the, the march towards Datadan Merdeka. So there's a real need to challenge such restrictions before they become the norm. And questions must be raised on, on the basis of such decisions by the police. And those involved must be held accountable before such a trend continues even further.
0: Based on your observation, Joseph, do you think things are getting um worse day by day? And what I mean by that uh, is that some activists have pointed out that yes it's it's not uncommon for perhaps in, in Malaysia for for police to block off the roads and, and and so on and so forth but what usually happens is the the organizers uh, midway through the protest they will they will approach the police officers they'll have a conversation there's always this 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 uh, negotiation part of the process and then um some activists have pointed out that usually the police will say okay fine uh, you can you can march to wherever you want to but you know maybe i will only give you one hour or something like that right but this—it seems to me that in 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 you know in in the past few protests over the past uh, few years, um, this isn't allowed to happen. That the negotiations always fall short, and and the protesters never are allowed to to you know carry out or to demonstrate or, or to to march towards wherever they want. Are, are things getting worse? I think from
1: from our observation I think things are regressing. I think there was a moment uh, particularly when the Pakatan Harapan government took over when we saw a, an opening of that space for protests where police were more willing to respect and protect the rights of protesters. But I think uh, with the pandemic and the restrictions that came with that and more recently with um, the number of protests that we've been observing Clearly, the protests, uh, police officers are becoming more and more intolerable of, of protests. They're using various means to, to, to block them and to restrict them. And then, of course, to target and intimidate uh, the protesters. Yes, even uh, being able to negotiate for more time or more space is becoming more and more challenging. So I think we're clearly seeing um, directions from the top in order to stop or halt this protest, which is a very worrying sign for civic space uh, in Malaysia.
0: And another concern raised by many activists are the deployment of a disproportionate number of police officers with or without uniform for a small protest or gathering. Sometimes it seems like there are more police officers than protesters. There could be 100 protesters, but 200 police officers. Is this something that you've observed as well? What are your thoughts on this?
1: Yes, I think from the various protests, uh, we've seen this in a number of instances, a really large uh, amount of police uh, being being deployed uh, to, to manage these protests. Again, I go back, the police role is to facilitate protests and, and, and to deploy adequate numbers in order to do that and also to protect the rights of protesters. But however, what we see is a large presence of police and sometimes also from the FRU or Federal Reserve Unit with their batons and their shields. Clearly, this is a very disproportionate uh, response to protests. Uh, and, and in fact, what it does is, in fact, it intimidates protesters rather than supports them in the, in exercising their right uh, to protest. I think other elements that we have seen in, in a number of protests is the increasing use of barricades to, to barricade uh, protesters, but also for different forms of surveillance. We've, we've seen in numerous protests where both plain floats and, and uniformed police officers are taking photos and videos of protesters, uh, which clearly undermines their the right to privacy but also we are seeing also drones being used in in a number of instances. So I think clearly we are seeing different methods being used in order to uh, create create and and intimidate protesters and therefore then many then will be shying away from exercising their rights which is extremely uh, concerning.
0: Now you brought up the right to privacy. How much of um, the privacy are protesters allowed to keep? In, in What I'm saying is, like, for example, if you are in a protest, you know that police officers there, can police officers, you know, approach a, you know, a random protester? Uh, it may not be an organizer. It could be just someone participating in the protest and just say, hey, what's your name? Where do you work? Uh, can I have your IC? Can I uh, get where do you live? And, and things like that. Are, are police officers allowed to do that?
1: Well, I think I think as I go back to the point that police are there to facilitate protests and the only reason one would engage with the protester is to see if uh, the protester may be at risk or they may be need for some support, but there shouldn't be a need for protesters under international law uh, for, 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 for police to be questioning protesters while a protest is happening. I mean, unfortunately, the police powers are extremely wide uh, in, in Malaysia and they can ask uh, for certain details and so forth but i think protesters also have a right to question um, the police on what basis they are asking these questions uh, if they are if they are being un- if are under arrest by the police and they should also say that if the police want to question them then they need to do it with a lawyer present so i think these are fundamental rights that that protesters also have again these tactics are often used as a, as a tactic to intimidate protesters and also to collect uh, intelligence which is extremely worrying and if we take into account that we do not have adequate Police oversight on on the police, you know, an effective oversight mechanism. Then it's very hard to hold the police in check when they undertake uh, such tactics. So it's it's really worrying from the point of um, the right to protest.
0: I'm wondering, you know, you you brought up about the the, the powers that the police have in Malaysian uh, Malaysian law. You also uh, earlier you brought up um, things like the Sedition Act, the Communications and Multimedia Act, the flaws in the Peaceful Assembly Act. What are some of the changes, the vital changes you think Malaysia needs to see uh, right now or some of the reforms we need to see so that our democratic space can be expanded
1: well, I think I think firstly, um, I, as I mentioned, um, I think we need to have leaders uh, from, from the political side, but also from the police, who need to be able to speak up and recognise uh, the right to protest. I think there's a lack of it at the moment. Uh, and in fact, what we're seeing is the reverse, where people are, are, are claiming that protests are unlawful and legal. So I think we need to see a, a much more positive recognition of the right to protest. Secondly, I think we need revisions of the Peaceful Assembly Act. Uh, as, as I mentioned, we need to ensure that spontaneous protests are not criminalize. We also need to move the restrictions currently in the Peaceful Assembly Act that limit the, the rights of children to, to, to protest, but also non-citizens, uh, as well as various disproportionate sanctions in, in, in the law. So that means the uh, thorough revision. We also need um, the end of, of police har- harassment. Again, police are there to should be there to facilitate and not hinder protests. And they should stop the, the hauling up of protesters after a protest and, and questioning them. All these uh, tactics need, need to end. Uh, I think we also need better training of police officers to understand the right to peaceful assembly. Uh, Police officers should engage with civil society actors who are participating in protests and to, to ensure that they understand fully what it means to facilitate protests and to respect the the right to protest. And I think finally, I think what we need is effective police accountability. So when these abuses happen, when protesters are abused, that they can take it to an independent police body that can investigate and ensure the perpetrators are held to account. So I think these are some of the changes that we need to see with regards to to better protect the right to protest.
0: Joseph, I also want to get your thoughts because you brought up this idea that leaders need to speak up, and that's certainly an important point. But I'm wondering, what are the masses, the Malaysian masses' view, um, when it comes to protests and whatnot? And has there be a has there been like a, based on your observation and your and your research, been a sort of shift? Um, towards uh, perhaps a, a culture of more accepting towards protest. Because many people uh, have pointed to how, for example, when when Mahade uh, he, during his first tenure as, as prime minister, he really um, stifled um the the you know freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, um he you know there was the ISA, there was AUCU, there were so many of these things which sort of created an entire generation of people who who essentially say, you know, you should keep your head down, um, you know, mind your own business, and, and things like that. I'm wondering, um, what is your observation? Are things changing?
1: I think there is a greater recognition of of the rights um, to protest and and other human rights uh, in in Malaysia. Yes. Uh, in the past, I think there was a lot of pushback from, from the government and others with regards to saying that you know, uh, you know, holding protests were was not in, in, in our culture, that we should be respecting authorities and so forth. But I think the recognition is that that these are fundamental freedoms in a de- democracy, that people should have a right to organise and to mobilise when issues come up. And we are seeing that happening all across the country, from common citizens, from the Bursa protests, to communities and, and so forth. So I think people are recognising that this is a right and, and a tool that can be used in order to voice opinions and also to be critical of the state, which is an important element in the democracy. And I think uh, the, the old notions that we again, you should put your head down and just respect authority, I think is slowly changing. And I, that gives me hope uh, for the respect for civic space and, and human rights uh, in this country whenever I meet people and engage with them about these, these
0: fundamental rights. Before we wrap this conversation up, would you have a final message
1: I think I think I call on the government to to take steps to respect fundamental freedoms, again, not just freedom of assembly, but freedom of expression, to review uh, the array of restrictive laws that that exist today that limit this right, and to ensure that civic space and civic freedoms is a core part of Malaysian society and that that all leaders respect these rights. I think that would be my final message.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today, Joseph. Thank you. That was Joseph Benedict. He's the Asia-Pacific Civic Civic Space Researcher at Civicus. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9.